WFAE's David Borax has the story. Tariq Bakari and Larkin Eggleston call their podcast R&D in the QC. Eggleston says they hope to reach people who may not pay attention to the council. Eggleston is 35 and a Democrat. Bakari is a 37-year-old Republican. Despite their political differences, they bonded on the campaign trail in part over their beards, says Bakari. The beards themselves are what truly united us in the beginning. They hope to be an example of how to debate productively across the political divide. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to R&D in the QC, episode 63. With me, as always, is not my trusty sidekick, but a 95-year-old Depression-era man trapped in a millennial body, Larkin Eggleston. Larkin, it's our live show in front of all of Charlotte, thousands of people here. Thank you for coming. We are here in front of a live studio audience at the Discovery Place Children's Museum downtown, and uh, we're in their auditorium. This is part of Charlotte Shout. We just got to enjoy uh, a music panel that was talking about uh, the music industry in Charlotte and the Music Everywhere CLT initiative and study that has just come out. Uh, we're going to be talking about some of the same things. We're going to be joined by two special guests here, um, both musicians, one a venue operator, one currently working um, as a musician and as a teacher of music. So we're going to have them up to talk about what Charlotte's doing well, what it can do better, uh, and what they've learned and maybe been surprised from from that Music CLT, Everywhere CLT initiative. So music is something that, um, as Targ and I started a bipartisan podcast about 16, 18 months ago as we were coming on to city council Long together. Long time. It was something that we were able to uh, bond over, and it's something that we both saw as a priority for this city, that uh, there's some great venues in this city, there's some incredible artists in this city, but it doesn't have the notoriety, it doesn't have the cachet that some of the other cities in this country do for their live music scenes, and, and we think that it should, and part of that is we think the local government has a role to play in terms of how we cultivate that scene, how we create an environment for success for both uh, venue owners, for people who work in the industry, either kind of front of the house or back of the house in that industry. Um, and so we're going to dive into that. Before we do, why don't we just start real quickly? Each, you start. What, what's, a, what's your favorite? What do you think of when you, the, you've been here about as long as I, 15 or 16 years? The music scene, the show. What's your favorite part, favorite memory? Yeah, I mean, for me, I moved to um, Charlotte area in 2004, been here ever since. And some of the best friends that I've made in Charlotte, some of the first friends that I made in Charlotte, uh, when people ask me how we met, we met at concerts. We met at something at Amos' South End, or we met at something at Tremont. Larkin was super deep um, in the rap scene back then, I so was. you may remember him. I was a little tougher than you, you might expect. He was playing pool, hustling pool, um, doing a lot of weird stuff. He's jokes that make sense to no one, but Tarek still I'll send the pictures out later. Um, but so for me, I think the, the point where uh, it really hit home for me that we've got to be more proactive in the way that we cultivate and preserve Charlotte's music scene and support Charlotte's music scene, um, and it also intersects with my interest in historic preservation is when we lost the Double Door Inn. Uh, the Double Door for me, being two miles from my house, uh, every Monday night just about, the Double Door was my go-to to see the Monday Night All-Stars, and particularly when uh, Charles was still alive and still with us, that was a place you could go. And one night I walked in and Mark Cuban and Dirk Nowitzki were there. Um, other nights you'd walk in, there'd be Panther players there. Other nights, it wouldn't be anybody you'd know, but you'd have a couple new friends before you left. And it was just the atmosphere in there, um, the history of that place, and the stories of Eric Clapton playing there and things like that. 
uh, to me, really were very unique and very Charlotte and were something that I love to take people and show them. Uh, it was devastating to me when, when that place closed. I have a piece of the stage sitting in my office at home that I, I bought from them when they did close. But um, I think those kind of, and the panel earlier talked about how we've got to have small venues, we've got to have some of the national larger venues. I agree with that wholeheartedly. But I, I do think that having things that are uniquely Charlotte uh, and things where you can either be on the upswing of your career or you can be Eric Clapton and you can pop in after you do a Coliseum show and play a few songs. Uh, those are the things that are really going to make Charlotte special and make people want to come here uh, to partake in our music scene, both from in the industry and, and from the fan base. So it's, uh, it's important to me, and I'm glad we're working on it together. Yes. Oh, gosh. Guys, please calm down. Um, well, and thank you for asking. I'll, thank you for asking. I'll, I'll tell mine as well, Arthur. Um, just real quick, I, I could say a lot of different concerts. I was here in 2003, about the same time. I could list, you know, more recently, Metallica in the arena. I could list uh, Citizen uh, Cope coming here, amazing concert. The, all the Jazz Fest and great jazz concerts. Or, you know, there's just a bunch of specific... The Presidents of the United States of America played... I think it was Charlotte Shout back in the day. It was some outdoor... The, pe yeah, the Charlotte dude. Peach Festival. Yeah, the pe pe yeah peaches for it. It Don't was amazing. It. You want me? To, I'll sing later. But I think the thing I, I most, my favorite memory is the random no-name bands I've never heard of, jam bands at like neighborhood theater or um, you know Visualite that I just kind of like randomly stumbled into. Used to love going to Amos's and just like you go out for music one night, you have no idea who you're going to see, and it ends up being just an amazing experience. And we're going to actually now invite up our guests, and one of them is is the place where I have gone. Uh, on many occasions and had those exact experiences that Tark referenced. Hey, you guys come on up and we'll, we'll introduce you. Um, so to my right, uh, the audience is left. We've got Joe Kuhlman, who's the owner of the Evening Muse. And the Evening Muse is the place where I've had the most of the experiences Tark just mentioned. Um, you can give me the exact number, but it's a 100-person venue. Yeah, 120. How many times has he had to be kicked out, would you say? None yet. We, uh, we, we keep those numbers under wraps. There's still time. Okay. Um, Bands that I've seen there, David Mayfield Parade, if you remember that show. Um, Evelyn Rose, who was a Charlotte band that used to play there and have dispersed around the country now, and half of them aren't even in music anymore, which maybe we'll speak about because it's the reason that that band's not together or some of those folks got out of music because Charlotte was not supporting them in a way that it could create a livelihood for them. Um, I actually don't know the answer to that, so I'm, if you do, we might talk about it. But Evening Muse has been a place where you can go and you can see a band that's on the upswing of their career um, and I, I still contend it has the best acoustics of anywhere in Charlotte. Thank so it's, uh, we're, we're happy to have Joe Kuhlman from the Evening Muse here. We've also got to my left, your right, uh, Harvey Cummings, who's one of the, uh, the single best jazz musicians in this city. But he's not only a great musician, he's somebody who's trying to cultivate that love for music in young people um, through education. And so um, he is not only uh, one of the stars of this generation of musicians, but he's creating the next generation of stars in this community. So welcome to you both, and everybody give them a round of applause for us. Yes. What's up? So let's make sure, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tee up with uh, a, an overall question that we'd like you two to discuss while we make sure their microphones work and are on. Um, yeah. But this comes from really one of the reasons we're here today and the work we've done, the Charlotte Music Ecosystem Study and Action Plan, something this coalition of those of us working together kind of put together and worked with different groups to have. And in, in long story short, first collected a bunch of data from all kinds of different parties around town in the ecosystem 
to understand the music scene, and then it started to provide an action plan of suggested pathways. I like to refer to this action plan as more of observations with a rough plan to create the plan. So um, the first one is audience development. And there's uh, this widespread kind of false belief in town that our population lacks interest in music, when in fact we found that 27% of the general population was interested in learning more and a bunch of recommendations on how to connect that demand with the supply. The second one was resources for creative musicians. A lot of musicians are not doing well and are really struggling. We found the median income for music is less than 10,000 for those doing it. So a lot of recommendations there of how we get to it. The third is music industry development. Um, there's a lot of pieces to this, uh, but I think the main point is as things grow, loss of our legacy music industries, things like uh, venues, it's really challenging because regulation and ordinances can in time be a hindrance to that, among many other things. And then this Charlotte Music Coalition is Action Plan D, where it cites and talks about the economic challenges, increasing housing costs. We talk about affordable housing all the time. Not a lot of people think about the artist kind of industry and musicians in town and how that impacts it. And then finally, music's role in diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives. And you know, th this is something where diversity is critical in all aspects of life, uh, for the output, for the innovation that occurs, for everything, and none more so than in music, as we've seen through American and world history. So that's kind of the high-level cliff notes. I encourage everyone to learn more about it. It's at the website, music everywhere, cl.com. Ladies and gentlemen, that's this. So, so let's let's tee the group up to just talk about this now. So I want to hear uh, Harvey and and Joe both touch on this. Harvey, you're a Charlotte native. You've been playing music since you were three years old in Charlotte. What mm -hmm. have you found um, has been your ability to make a, a good living in this city? And how has this city uh, either been supportive of you or have you at times felt like you were more appreciated elsewhere than you were even in your own hometown? Good question. Uh, uh, first part, um, what ways have I, have I made it um, in Charlotte as far as like doing everything I do. Number one, it really comes down to the relationships I had growing up, starting when I grew up to even now from different venues to musicians to just the community, just being around. Um, I've kind of just had the mentality of just, you know, make your own opportunities, create your own circles and, and do it before, you know, people, you wait for people to do it for you. So um, I've always just, I always knew that Charlotte was a corporate city. I always knew Charlotte you know, dealt with banks and everything. And I thought to myself, well, how can I service them? Like, how can I do, how, how can I provide music for the banks? How can I provide music for these corporations? And, you know, I just started writing down things and I started doing like the happy hours for, for Bank of America or doing the galas for Wells Fargo. You know, a goal of mine is to fix the music when you on hold, you know, and like have like different things you like that as well. You can help us out a lot if you've yeah. ever called 311. Our whole music is trash. Hey, man, that's the that's the whole game. But so we'll um, talk later. but just knowing your audience, knowing that. But then also, Charlotte, you got the corporate side, but then you got the people as well. And it's just like you said, like those double door, like the Tremonts. Those are the memories that I had in Charlotte. Those are the places that I not only played, saw best concerts, but it's like you you we, we use these alternate venues to get through um, bars breweries, different other things like that. Um, but were people in Charlotte willing to pay you what you deserved and what you were worth? Or Because I so often, and, and Tark was, was ribbing me, but 
I was involved in the local hip hop scene when I first moved here and had a lot of friends that were you involved in that. see the pictures. And they would, incredible. they would frequently tell them, oh, you know, come, we'll let you open this show for free, but it's going to give you like it's a lot of great exposure. It's going to give you ah. And you're like, well, I can't pay my rent with exposure. So you can't pay your rent with exposure. Yeah. Is that, the, is that what you found in, uh, in the jazz I mean, scene or in the scenes that I you mean, were in? I mean, early on. I mean, like, because people only let you do what they've been what they've done before, you know what I'm saying? So they, um, people ask for favors, people do different things like that, but you gotta, you know, you, you know. You well, it, in that same context, you know, what, I think that the thing that we tried to do with this music study and the action plan was make sure that everyone's fingerprints were somewhere in the insights that led to an action plan. Based on that experience, like, you know, Larkin was teeing you up there, is there any of those areas that I kind of went through in the high-level overview that you felt, well, yeah, that's a bit of kind of my view or my fingerprint from the, you know, from the struggling of artists to the venues to, yeah. you know, it, what, it, anything jump out at you, what I just said? In there? I mean, the, the most foremost thing is when they said, like, the musicians make the, the $10,000. I, was, I, was, I wasn't, I don't think I was ready for that. But, it, but I don't find it surprising because there's a lot of cats in this city who probably do, like, one or two gigs a week on average, might, you know, might come home monthly salary of probably like $1,500 or something like that, you know, and everything goes back to different things, but it's all about, like, like I said, like building those different opportunities. Um, a lot of musicians play for church, um, but like that's like the lower stuff, and then a lot of musicians from Charlotte, they, they tour with different bands. They, 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 they get picked up by national bands, and and they play and they play those, but then when they come back to Charlotte, it's like nobody they, knows who they are. Nobody knows who they are, or hey, Harv, like, you, you, is there a, is there an opening here? You like, can you, can you help me find something here? So, I'm um, I'm loving the music study. I'm loving just the just the just the spark that the city is like. Hey, we have to do better. That's ultimately like what I'm really really happiest about is like we're putting action to what we're doing and this is a proven action. The first action. step is admitting you have a problem. Yeah, the right? first step yeah. is admitting you have a problem and we have done that and, we, and we're looking and we're looking at the data and we're looking at everything else and even like the panel like we're, ha we're having here like we're discussing about it but it's really like okay what are we going to really do about it but we're doing it like we're I feel we're really doing it. I always tell people Charlotte is in a renaissance right now like it really is like I'm from here and it's, this is the most support that I've ever seen the arts get in this community period. The most the, the, the government has cared about the, 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 the most that nonprofits and different people and different organizations in the community. So it's all coming together. So that ten thousand yeah. dollar number hit me in the face too. It, it's crazy, it's, man. It's like being an elected official. You, if you want to oh, be elected official or a musician in Charlotte, you got to do it because you enjoy it and you, you love it. Because you're going to have to have another job too, most likely. And so yeah. Joe was. I know you were in a band and you opened Evening Music in two thousand one as a business owner, as a venue owner. When you were in the music scene yourself as a musician, was that in Charlotte? Was that elsewhere? What was your experience as a musician in Charlotte and then transitioning into a venue owner? Yeah, I, I was uh, very fortunate to start touring at a young age and, you know, throughout the country internationally and stuff like that. It's, it was a completely unique experience, but it really did open me up to uh, remembering the places that really did make an impact on me, and that's what I wanted to have in a venue. But to be honest with you, the Evening Muse came about very quickly. Um, it was a very unique opportunity that was presented. And literally, we, from the opportunity to opening day was two months. 
and um, we took over that space. It's a on coffee a, shop art gallery. It was a coffee shop art gallery that was kind of being underutilized in that neighborhood, and um, you know, we took it over on April first and opened on April sixth. <laughs> I mean, it was like wow. it was like just go and figure it out, and um, you know, my background in production and record production and audio engineering and stuff, I was like, all right, we just have to make the place really sound good. We have to present the artists so that they have a chance to connect with an audience. Um, we saw a need um, in Charlotte at the time because there were so many hybrid places, mostly restaurants that were like, okay, well, we'll when that table over there finishes eating, you guys can set up there. There was a lot of that that was going on. And so the musicians weren't necessarily given, um, in my interpretation, the respect or the ability to connect with people, um, to connect with an audience, which is surprisingly enough what, you know, one of the big items in the survey was, you know, audience retention, audience connection, building an audience and so forth is really a high priority. Um, for me, personally, um, I want to see us putting the humanity back into the arts. So stop using the term arts, start using the term humanity the humanities and so forth. The reason being is so much of technology and you know music that's being replicated is all about stealing and all about like using technology as opposed to using the human that's actually creating the music. And so we need to rehumanize, we need to normalize that aspect of, you know, there's a soul behind that that piece of music. There's a soul behind that, you know, whether they're on the drums or whether they're singing. Whether they are DJing, there is a soul there. There's somebody that's like putting something into it that's trying to make life a little bit more vivid, a little bit more precious, as opposed to just like, I'm in a grind, we're all in a grind, we're just, we're just spinning our wheels here. Um, we need to rehumanize. And I think that's something that Charlotte can actually take on. You know, I look at like um, the influence of our namesake, Queen Charlotte, and everything, and she really, you know, a, she had a lot of kids, and so she had a lot of love that was going out with all of them. But then there was also dealing with, she was a, a huge supporter of the arts, you know, and I don't think we're, you know, honoring our namesake, you know, as a city and doing the same sort of thing. And that was deep. That was so deep. I really like I can that. go deeper if you want. <laughs> uh, well, so uh, here's one specific question that, I, I, you know, I've been to the Evening Muse many times, and... There was the times I went there before I learned this one fact from Larkin, and then after, right? And that is like the the um, the sound quality and acoustics that you've specifically set up there. I don't know that a lot of people know like it's set up in a very special way. Can you just briefly describe that, and and then maybe just tell people why you spent so much time kind of working to perfect it? It really didn't take that much time. Oh, great. <laughs> no, no offense. It's just having a background in physics and audio and having done Oh, okay. Done well, then stuff. to be smart. D yeah. The background in physics, maybe that took the amount of time. I, I sure. don't know. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, I've, years ago, um, you know, people started, you know, actually was in another interview with a, um, with a newspaper years ago, and they're like, you know, what's your life and music like and all that stuff? And I was like, you know, music is not what I do. It's who I am. And so when you're, when you're constantly working with that mentality and, you know, I've been very fortunate. I've never had to have, like, you know, honestly, the Evening Muse is the most jobby job thing I've ever done. You know, I, I was on a tour bus at 15 and, you know, doing those things and playing stages all over. And so I have a very unique 
approach, which has uh, been a benefit and a hindrance because it's like I don't, I don't process things like everyone else does. I am always thinking outside of the box. Um, but as far as like the muse and making it sound good, um, it, like I said, it's it's simple, you know, acoustics and you know, you know being a you know trained in physics of sound and stuff like that. It's simple. It's, it's simple if you've got a uh, degree yeah. in physics. Yeah. Wait, so for both y'all too, and I think you'll have different perspectives on this. But from your vantage point as a club owner who sees bands from all over the country and and I'm sure at times international come through your doors. What is it that you hear from them about how they view Charlotte's music scene versus the other places that they're going on tour? And for you, Harvey, as you go out to those other places, both throughout the country and internationally, what is the feedback when you say, I'm from Charlotte? Do they say, you know, Charlotte where? Or, oh, I've heard such and such about Charlotte. Because I think the data in here we needed, we, we were in dire need of data to back up a lot of these anecdotal stories. But I think the anecdotal stories are the things that help connect people to that data and give it more meaning and give it more purpose. So what are people's perceptions of Charlotte that are coming here or that you're seeing as you go out in the world? Um, well, so many of the artists that are coming in and playing the Muse, um, it's a hustle. So it's like they're getting to the Muse, you know, maybe an hour or two before, you know, check, and then it's only like an hour or so before the show. So they see Noda. And there's a lot of people that feel like Noda is their interpretation of what the rest of Charlotte is, huh. which is not That's fairly accurate. It's not it's pretty accurate, much what Valentine looks like. Yeah, exactly. It's the same. South Park so, Mall, Noda, right? So nice. it's like, you know, because they have to leave that night and to get to the next yeah. city, so they don't have that time to really be here. Now, the fact that some of them have been coming for, you know, years and years, um, we actually become almost like you know, a visitor board for Charlotte. They come here, they meet us, and so that interpretation goes out. But do they feel like they get the love from Charlotte that they get other places? It varies. I mean, everything varies based on, you know, that artist, their success, their marquee value, what they're doing, you know, if, if they're investing in promotion, if, you know, I mean, we try to do the same for every act. We have 65 to 70 acts from all over the world that play the muse every month, not including all of our open mics and all the other opportunities and stuff. So it's like we have to do the same for everybody, and it's a it's a constant battle struggle. We feel like a squeaky wheel all the time. Um, so we're constantly having to find new ways of promoting and giving those artists a chance. A, a lot of the musicians I talk to in this process and just all around uh, feel like they get more love outside of Charlotte than they get from Charlotte. Harvey, what do you, what do you, how do you feel about that? And what do people know about Charlotte when you're yeah. out of town? And, or do they know anything about I mean, Charlotte? I mean, I mean, number one, like when I'm out of Charlotte and I'm performing, it's, it's love. It's like I'm like the man over there. You're the man like, here, too. I'm, I'm the man here. I mean, I, I really am. But it's, <laughs> He's the man but it's, everywhere. But, but it's like for real. It's like it's, it's um, you get you. You get a different kind of love. It's, 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 it's weird to say. You get a different kind of, oh, man, like people are really, really genuinely excited. You're the Harvey Cone. You know what I'm saying? I think when I'm in Charlotte, I'm playing because people, people get used to seeing It's because they see you at the grocery yeah, store. Yeah, they, the see, me at, they <laughs> see me at Rhino <laughs> Market and stuff. So they're like, hey, come to my show tonight. I mean, it's, it's, it's 25 bucks, you know? Okay, plus I saw him at Rhino. I, yeah. I, I see Harvey all the time. I have opportunities. But um, just want to make a quick point real quick. The Evening Muse is the only venue in Charlotte that has, like, full backline. And what I mean by that is, because it's going to go to the next question, but um, it, it, he has his own, like when you walk in the news, there's already a drum set there. Oh. 
there's already a bass amp there. You pull that curtain, there's keyboards. There's other instruments and stuff. So when bands come, they don't have to necessarily bring their drums. They don't necessarily have to bring like, all their stuff. Like when they're, they're touring and stuff, their bands are flying in, whatever. So when I go to other venues, you know what I'm saying, whether it's in New York, whether it's in LA, whether it's anywhere, it's like most of these venues have backline because they cater to, to, to the musicians. They actually cater. I, I ask different venues, um, hey, um, you know, um, how much are your ASCAP fees, or are, are, are y'all gonna pay your ASCAP fees? Because there's so many local artists that, that write music, that do stuff that, that, that they want credit for their music to, because you get credit when you perform your original music at an ASCAP venue, you, you can log it in and get your royalties. That's another way to fix that deficit. That, that I'm all about that, that, that $10,000 is, is, is crazy, man. I'm still stuck on that, but, um, but yeah, when I'm outside of you know Charlotte, it's, it's it's love. But you know, I'm 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 loyal to my city. You know, I'm 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 really trying to push, um, uplift even other musicians, empower. Um, but and if just you're in like, New Orleans, you're in Nashville, you're in New York, and you say I'm from Charlotte, do they say I've heard y'all have got a great scene down there? I've heard oh no, nah, it's always trash, it's always it's always like oh Petey Pablo <laughs> or, 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 or or something with the sports. Do people you in know? New Orleans say oh well, I've been waiting to come to Jazz Fest or Jazz Week? Oh they no nah, people. People don't know that there's music. Like if outside of nah, unless it's other musicians, that's like, hey, I played a jazz festival there. Charlotte was tight. Charlotte was cool. They always say the people are cool. People have manners. The people are, you know, southern. It's it's well, good. It's, it's, good. We got Jane Cole. We got Jane Cole, Anthony Hamilton, and they're yeah. still talking about Pete Pablo. Never, they'll never nah. see us coming. Nah. They still, nah. see us coming. How do they? How are we still being referenced by Pete Pablo? Is what I need to know. <laughs> exactly. You have to take your shirt off, and you really have to swing it around your head. But like now, the listen, one question for you <laughs> yeah. though, because that. It's the work of people like you, while we are not on folks' radars now, that allows us to sneak up on them, I think. We all need to get behind that, but I want to shine just a quick floodlight on you of an event you do for multiple years now that I was able to go and take my kids to. It was the, the weekend before uh, um, Jazz Week kicked off, and it was in the uh, Harvey Gantt Center, and you had all these instruments, reed instruments, brass instruments, drums, stand-up basses, and you just let kids come in there and try them, and you help kind of show them. And, I mean, my kids, I brought two of my three or ten, I don't remember how many I have, the four and the six-year-old, they had never, I mean, they, they touched a trumpet a couple times. and some. some I'm guessing Chase broke some stuff while you were he there. Tried, he almost broke his saxophone, in back, fact. So. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, exactly. But he put, uh, Harvey put saxophones in both of their hands. My little girl, four years old, never touched one, blew into it, and, and just made a great noise the first time. Think about exposing kids to that kind of level of music and instruments at that age and what that's doing to the garden we're building. So I just want to give you a, a, a floodlight on you for that and tell people, and give us a, just a quick overview of why you do that. Um, the reason why I do it, like you said, is it comes down to exposure. If, kids, if children don't see it, if they don't see it in themselves, they're not going to become it. Yeah. So... I think, you know, education, any form of education is, is just vital for any community anyway. But um, I was in kindergarten. I was at Piney Grove Elementary, and the Charlotte Symphony came. It was an assembly, and the symphony came. Hey, this is a clarinet. This is a saxophone. This is a cello. This is a, and I'm thinking, I'm, I'm looking at it like, oh, okay, those are, those are stuff I could play. Music, like music can be, and, and they played, and that's cool, but I wanted to take it a step further, and I wanted to, uh, to give children and adults, you know, the opportunity. Playing around with some stuff. For real, <laughs> like I want, that, but that's that's what I wanted. But I wanted them to get the opportunity to to figure it out on their own. Here it is, man. 
This is my, my little girl. If you can see it. They can't. Amazing. First noise she ever made, first time she touched it. Hey, man. Future stocks. E, e flat, man. Hey. <laughs> she, she had it. But, but um, I want to put a spark in kids. I want them to know, like, hey, I can do this. You know, and the kids are very kinesthetic. Like, they can figure it out on their own. I'm not, I, I can just, I, when, I, when I hand it to them, I'm like, all right, go. I kind of see how they, how they kind of, because it's like, look, there ain't no rules. Like, like, try it out. See if there's something that you want to do. And most kids end up, hey, I like that. I want to play that when I'm, when I'm, when I'm when, and the parents end up getting them and different things like that. And, you know, it, it puts value into the community. It puts value into, into that child as we well. we got to grow that so, program, man. Man, we got to. Like, I really want to infiltrate into, in, like, into the schools. Like, for, like, 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 as they were saying in the last panel, like, um, you were saying sometimes um, you can't, if you can't, they, they can't come to you, you have to go to them. But that's just one of my platforms. Just, you I think know, we're at the place to do it here yeah. at Discovery Place. We should probably see Great. about grabbing yeah. a room and creating a... Where's Gigi? Uh, Gigi, come back in here. We're going to have to yeah, make man. this program happen. We could actually... Yeah, Gigi from Discovery Place. Like, She'll make it happen for yeah, us. We could man. actually uh, acquire some of the stuff that they do at the EMP out in Seattle at the Experience mm -hmm. Music Project. They've got a really cool room that we could create something similar to that here. Yeah, that would be a, that's be an amazing. incredible idea. And we make it an initiative through music everywhere. We get kids interested because it's really, you know, there's only so much we can do for, you know, this generation. It really is more about, like, putting this stuff into motion now that we could see 20 years from now that could, that could, you know, define or create some identity for Charlotte. Charlotte is ripe for the taking. I've been saying that for 20 years. Um, Yes, people think NASCAR. Yes, people think banking. But, um, and apparently Petey Pablo. Apparently. <laughs> but um, her reputation and what we're doing right now, you know, there's so much growth that's happening here. She's really trying to put her big girl pants on. But it's like we need to kind of define culturally um, a sense of community and caring and kindness out of it. Mm -hmm. I think there is, you know, you guys talked about Southern hospitality. I think there is, instead of that cliched, Southern hospitality, I think we can actually redefine it through music and through our um, awareness. And I know a big word around town, especially in the city of Charlotte government, as well as in a lot of the corporate world, is inclusive. And we could actually kind of take that over, um, create you know something that's sort of along the lines of like an inclusive music festival. So many music festivals around the country today basically resegregate people. And it's really kind of disturbing. Um, and we could actually tackle that. And we could actually become an example of that. We could become a leader with that. Um, and there's business models and concepts that you know, we've been talking about that um, offer some of that as an option. Um, but I think if we're really going to get there, I think we need to be looking at like housing initiatives. Um, we've talked about a couple of ideas of like uh, taking like a, an old hotel and um, buying it, turning those rooms into places where it's basically like live work for musicians, um, creating teaching spaces out of it, creating performance spaces out of it. Um, but we need to develop like a mentoring uh, kind of uh, strategy where, you know, folks like Harvey and myself are speaking with groups of people that are interested and then finding that, you know, asking a better question, you get a better answer. And so it's, it's like giving those, you know, young minds an idea of 
you know, yeah, you have to be creative. Yes, you have to have initiative. Yes, you have to have a hustle. But, and it's, a lot of it is talent, but it's also about like that creative edge on, I gotta do this. I'm glad you made the point about the, the timeline and a lot of this stuff, because we face the same challenge when we're trying to message what the work that the government is doing. A lot of the seeds that are planted today are not going to bear fruit tomorrow. Some of them might not bear fruit for 20 years. So we're trying to change the It's the same the as like working out. Things. You can't like work out once and expect to right. have a difference. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry. I'd have to work out what? once to even understand that analogy. But I worked out once this week, and I'm expecting results right now. Sam, it's not so I, I hope that people do realize that on anything the city is doing, anything any level of government is doing, or what we're trying to do with Music Everywhere CLT, if we created a music scene tomorrow somehow, which you couldn't do that quickly, um, well, but I don't think it'd be as authentic. I think <laughs> you have to. I think we you have to have cultivate that. Wins, but this yeah. is we're, we're embarking on a generational we can improve, project. Right we can now. improve tomorrow, but we're not going to change and, and the whole landscape. And I think the broader point that day. you've made, which I think is is reflected in the work of this music initiative, in the the research that we've just kind of published, is we have to do all these little things. We need short-term wins, but this is this is a multifaceted project where we've got to get kids excited and interested and plant that long-term garden. But if we plant that garden and get them passionate about it, and then they come into an ecosystem where they're making $10,000 a year, then we fail. If, if all these things have to come together, if we make a place where music venues are thriving and they're coming back, and we don't fix and make a nimble noise ordinance in the city where they can play, right. you know, it, it all fits together. Well, well not only that, be. but it's like if we create, um, and this is not to scare anyone or whatever, but it's like as we start to grow and make changes, there are going to be, you know, people that are going to come in and try and take advantage of it. It's the inevitable, inevitability of all music industry. People want to copy, people want to take what you're doing and make, make their buck off of it, as opposed to realizing that we have to be spending that money back here and, you know, creating an economy and an ecosystem the whole point. where we're providing back and forth to ourselves. <laughs> and that's, where, that's, the that's where the blockchain comes in, ladies and gentlemen. So you might have just answered the question I was going to ask to put a bow on this conversation and wrap this up. Um, but one of you take one, one of you take the other, whoever wants to jump in first. But what are the calls to action? What is, first, one of you jump in with a call to action for me and Tark and our colleagues at the city government. What can the city do to either get out of the way of or create a landscape that allows musicians and venues and the, our whole scene to be successful. And what's the call to action to our listeners that are going to download this podcast tonight and listen to it? The thousands in the room and the millions out there what uh, can on, an, on What can an average citizen world? who's not making money in the music industry do? Easy. Now, don't turn that around. <laughs> <laughs> Tara's live streaming this. Ruined and, uh, us. You ruined up, us. Messed up our story. Yeah. What if, if someone is not making money in the music industry but is just a fan and wants to support and wants to see that grow, uh, What's the call to action to our listeners? One of y'all take one and the other take the other. Um, so my first thing would be, um, I kind of touched on it a second ago, Charlotte is ripe for the taking. We need a narrative that gets people interested in their own backyard. Um, we need to be telling a story that everybody can learn so that like, all these people that are moving here, um, what is it, 58 a month or something like that? No, or? 60 a day. 60 a day, <laughs> sorry. 60 a day, I was way off. Yeah. Um, uh, we need to basically envelop those people into um, a culture. And we're, we're not a cultural desert by any means, but we aren't, um, we aren't recognizing and honoring each other enough. Um, it's not offering 
uh, you know, like the city needs to possibly go and reach out to some of our brothers and sisters that have done really well in the music world and give them some recognition and be like, not just a plaque and a key to the city or whatever, but say, hey, look, we need you guys to come back and embrace Charlotte. And we Charlotte need you Music guys. Hall of Fame. Don't knock our key to the city I'm we gave Anthony Hamilton. <laughs> I, I'm not. I'm just saying it's like we need to be embracing them and saying, look, you know, thanks for what you're doing, but we need you looking at Charlotte and being a part of things. And we need you to sit down with so-and-so, and we need you to bring some friends to the table. It's those connections that those people on, on a different level can actually matriculate some stuff that will offer everything for the city. Yeah. And I know you weren't, I, were giving us a hard time on that specifically. I will say, I think the reason that Anthony Hamilton is being honored this week and being given a key to the city is no matter how much success he's had, he has stayed so rooted sure. in this community and has given back. But we have, we have one Anthony. Yeah. You know, it's we like, need some more Anthony's. Yeah. We need and some so more Anthony's and we have some more Harvey's and some more Joe's. Goes, Pablo. Yeah. He's not from Charlotte. It goes down to value. What's, what's, the, what's just, the call to it, action, Harvey? Put a bow on it for us. It's just put value to the music. <laughs> it's easy to put value. It's simple. It's different ways to put or add value to the music. Because a lot of the opportunities, along, beyond even the music, but a lot of the opportunities that these musicians are playing, they're, they're, they're in environments where it is like a bar or a club or somewhere where people are talking over them. Or people are, you know what I'm saying? It's, 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 the, it's, it's that type of thing where... You know, if we had more Rockwoods, if we had more different different opportunities for people that uh, the active listening. Charlotte right now is a passive. Yeah. When they associate music, it's, it's associated background. With, with background, and that's all, and that's and, and, and it goes back to even with the corporate stuff. That's always been my selling point. I always <laughs> say, I always say, I always say, yeah, we'll we'll provide two hours of ambiance music or <laughs> mingle music, you know, things like that. We won't but, disturb you with our performance. Yeah, but you know, we, hey, hey, could you? Turn it down a little bit, like we're 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 in there. To, we're playing music, like that's that's one thing that the people are going to have to like. Yeah. Just little things, man. Just show appreciation for it. Well, just different things. But. For those of you in the audience right now, if y'all help us show appreciation to Harvey <laughs> and Joe for joining us on R and D in the QC. Episode sixty-three live, ladies and gentlemen. I thank you so thank much for being with us. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe, and don't forget to go to Music Everywhere CLT to get involved in this, to read the report, to find out what music is happening around town. It's a generational mission that we're on, but there's short-term things that you can help us be a part of today. And there's real short-term things you can do in the next couple of days as we wrap up Charlotte Shout, uh, visual arts, music. There's tons of stuff going on in and around uptown, so get out and enjoy Charlotte Shout if you haven't already. Thank you all for joining us here in person, and thank you all for joining us uh, online. We'll see, we'll see you next week. You next week.